This uh, this morning, uh, you know, want to do, yeah. Um, we had a, the church in itself had a blessing this week, and I want to let y'all know all about it. Uh, you know, we we did last week we did, or a couple of weeks ago we did the hot dog sale on the Friday, and you know, so we raised funds so that we could. Uh, you know, um, do some work and stuff and have some money, uh, you know, and a little bit of extra money set aside in the account. And uh, we wanted to beautify our grounds, and we haven't put mulch out for two years. And we began having a lot of weeds where the mulch was supposed to be, so we sprayed the weeds. Now we needed to have some mulch. Called up a company and we said, "Hey, we would like to buy some mulch from you." They gave us a price, and the price was, uh, you know, thirty-five dollars per square yard. Uh, you know, so if you figure that out, and, and we most probably needed more than the ten yards than what we said that we would order from them, and uh, you know, so that would come up to be, uh, you know, three hundred and thirty, three hundred and fifty dollars, right, for that mulch. They delivered it Friday. He came up in this big trailer, and he backed it over into the back parking spot, last one all the way over there in the pouring down rain. And him and I uncovered it, and he dumped it out. And I said, okay, I said, uh, you know, I would like to get the bill so I can pay you. And he said, there is no bill. He gave over 12 yards of mulch to the church. So... We are able to use some of that money for some other things. Uh, you know, we might we might even paint some. I don't know. But the thing about it is, is that whenever we're blessed because of God, we need to bless the ones that have blessed us. So I ask that you would do this, okay? Uh, you know, the company was True Green, but the manager that gave us the mulch, his name is Jason Todd. So if you would pray for his division and his portion around that God will continue to bless his business uh, here in the Rock Hill, Fort Mill, and uh, you know, uh, I guess South, South Charlotte area, uh, you know, because he truly blessed us, uh, you know, with that. So we thank God for that. Uh, you know, and as I talk about that, I'm going to skip right around because that's just simply what something that I felt like needed to be done. So what I would like for you to do is as we continue in our talk and our preparation for Easter, uh, you know, this Sunday we are going and we're going to talk about Jesus, his next, uh, you know, self-proclamation statement that we have is, is that, uh, you know, he says that I am the bread of life. If you are going as scripture-wise, this would have been the very first message that would have been preached because this is his first proclamation as far as his I am statements. And here he says, I am the bread of life. And that's in John chapter 6, and it begins with, uh, you know, with verse 25. So as you were turning there, um, I'm going to set the stage for you. Because in looking at this, we have to look at the passages of Scripture prior to this. You look in Matthew, and you find in Matthew, well, let me tell you that this particular 
uh, you know, miracle or, uh, you know, that Jesus did with the feeding of the 5,000 that I'm going to talk to you about, it's the only one that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. So whenever you go into Matthew and you look at it in Matthew, Matthew takes you from the death of John the Baptist because they come to Jesus and they tell Jesus and the disciples that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Uh, his disciples had uh, you know, buried him and found Jesus and told him this. And then the scripture in Matthew says that they went to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, whichever one you want to call it. And they went over there so that they would be able to have a time of prayer and uh, you know, just a time to reflect on their message and as far as what you know, God had for Jesus in his ministry from that moment on. Because now the forerunner, John the Baptist, is no longer there, so it's Jesus alone. So he steps out on his own after this. So they go there for this. And then we find that as they are over there, that a crowd of people find them. And that's where you have where Ron read this morning. And we have the feeding of the 5,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, we find here that, uh, you know, that Jesus asked Philip this question. And I think it's really interesting. And uh, you know, so I'm going to give it to you right off the bat. So Jesus goes and he, he sees the crowd coming and he looks at Philip. And he says, Philip, where are we going to get the food for all of these people? And what does Philip do? I want to let you know, Philip doesn't look at the where we're going to get the food. Philip looks at how we're going to get the food. Philip goes and says, man, well, you know, we would have to take over half a year's wages just simply to buy enough bread to give someone, uh, you know, these people just a morsel of food. Not fill them up, but just give them a little bit. Can I tell you that Jesus was not asking Philip how to do this? Jesus wanted Philip and wanted the disciples to look at where the food was going to come from. And the food was not going to come from any money or anything that we could ever do. But the food was coming from Jesus Christ. So whenever we look at this and we see this, Jesus doesn't want us to look at the how it was performed or how it was given. He wants us to see where it came from. So whenever we look at our blessings, he doesn't want us to look for how did you get that blessing. He wants us to look and see where the blessing came from. He doesn't want us to call out for the miracle. He wants us to call out for the one that works the miracle. He doesn't want us to call out for healing. Woo! He wants us to call out for the one that does the healing. He doesn't want us just simply to ask for healing. He doesn't want us to ask for financial peace. He wants us to ask for the one that provides it all. Wow. Man. Oh, man. I'll get it, I'll get it out. But Diane sing, sings that song. I asked her to learn that song. I, you know, I want the healing more than I want the healer. Or no, I want the healer more than I want the healing. That's what Jesus is telling us. We have gotten it all wrong. 
uh, you know, we're looking for the solution. We're looking for the how, and we should look, be looking for the who or the where it's coming from. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God Almighty. So then we follow this along. Uh, you know, so we've already had the reading of verses 1 through 15. So we're going to go all the way down to verse 25. And I tell you, we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, all the way uh, you know, to verse 71. So I'm not going to read it to you. Okay? You are more than welcome to read it on your own. But we're going to walk through this, and there's some things that we need to see that God has for us this morning. And there again, we have to understand that all of this, what Jesus wants them and wants us to see, it's not where it comes from, but it's who provides it. It's not the food that he gives, but it's who gives it. So then we get into this very first part, and we get this here. And So we have this. Question number one, so we get into this, and I'm going to try to settle down. I'm like, Jesus is over at the other side because remember, in between 15 and 25, we have Jesus walking on the water. Uh, you know, but so let's go back. The walking on the water. It kind of helps us out if we understand the words and stuff whenever Jesus tells them that they need to go and they need to pick up the leftovers. And he says, why does, it, why does he tell them to go pick up the leftovers? So that they won't be wasted. Now, I, I'm confused on that bit because they're in the wilderness. So if the food would have been left there, an animal in the night would have came and eaten it. So it wouldn't have been wasted. But what it was is the miracle needed to be saved. So they go and they, they load it up into baskets and they have 12 baskets. Some scholars believe that it's one basket for each one of the tribes. I believe it's one basket for each one of the disciples because Jesus knows what the disciples are going to be facing whenever they're growing the church and they're going to need that basket of blessing that they're going to be able to go back into and be able to dip into whenever the struggles come. So whenever we look at this and he sends out there, he says, don't waste it. And then we get and Jesus is walking across the water and whenever Jesus gets to the boat, you remember they're scared because they think it's a, a ghost. And they tells them, don't, you know, don't be afraid, it's just me. And then some of the other, you know, one of the other, uh, you know, they you know, Peter wants to go out and meet Jesus. And Peter walks out on the water and meets Jesus. And he gets out there a little ways. And then, uh, you know, he, he loses sight. He begins to look at the waves and stuff. He begins to sink. Jesus reaches down and picks him up. And they go and they get into the boat. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. And I'm like, wait a minute, Jesus. Peter just walked on water. What are you talking about? Oh, ye of little faith. They're, he's talking about them being worried about the storm that's in the, that, they're, that they were fighting while they were there. We don't get this in John. But whenever John says that he got in the boat, it says that they were immediately right there at the spot that they were supposed to wind up at. But we see this, they're sitting in the boat, 
and the waves are beating on them, and the waves are coming along, and they're afraid. And Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith, where is that basket of leftover blessings that you just picked up? What happened to it? Did you forget who I am? Did you forget where your salvation comes from? Did you forget who your Savior is? And then we come to this. The people, they get up in the morning and they're like, oh, wait a minute. We know the disciples are gone because we saw them leave in the boat. Where's Jesus? Well, see, I've already skipped something. Because before the disciples or after the disciples got into the boat, John tells us that Jesus had to flee up into the mountains. Why did Jesus have to flee up into the mountain? Because they wanted to force him to become a king. Now, whenever you look at this, there were 5,000 men, so they were most probably 5,000 women, and they were possibly 5,000 children, so that's 15,000 people. 15,000 people, you figure that they could force Jesus to do whatever they wanted him to do. And he says, well, wait a minute, this is not what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to go up into heaven. Ron read, the, or not heaven, I'm sorry, he's going to go up on the mountainside and hide from them. Ron read the passage of Scripture that said, okay, that they wanted to make him their earthly king. They made the comment, since he was able to feed all of those people, they made the comment, this must be the prophet that the Scripture talks about as far as being our Messiah. So they saw the miracle. And now we're over here, we're on the other side. They've made it over there. They find Jesus, and they ask him, they say, well, how did you get here, or when did you get here? Do you notice that Jesus did not answer their question? They said, Jesus, when did you get here? He said, well, he said, you've came to, you know, to find me, not because of the sign, the miraculous sign that I gave you, but because I fed you. Wait a minute. He fed them last night. Now they find him this morning on the other side of the, of the sea. And their bellies are empty again because they haven't had breakfast yet. No, I don't know. It doesn't say that they've eaten breakfast. Jesus' response is, is that you're not here for the miraculous sign. You're here for the bread. We understand that and we get an understanding about that because whenever they ask the third question, I'm not going to give you the third question yet. So, there, you know, so he's, he says this, and he says, that, you know, you're just simply here for the food. How many of us came today to church just simply so we could mark it off of our list and so that we could shake the pans of our friends and so that we can smile and laugh and we can have good fellowship? But whenever I leave this church, I'm going to be the exact same as I was whenever I left and I'm still going to be hungry because I'm looking for earthly food. I'm not looking for the spiritual food. I'm not looking for the signs of God. I'm just simply here because it's something that I always do. I get up on Sunday mornings and I go to Sunday school and I go to church. Well, at least you should go to Sunday school. I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. 
Oh, man. Okay. So we see that Jesus is Jesus is trying to get them to see and to understand who he is and where he's coming from and, and but it's it's more of a of a of a spiritual aspect. Uh, you know, we also saw last week that uh, you know that Jesus says that you judge with human eyes not with spiritual eyes. We have a, a problem with that. Uh, you, know, um, you know, South Carolina District Church of the Nazarene last year uh, you know, started an initiative, uh, and they called it uh, you know, vibrant, the Vibrant Church. And they sent out, they went to three different churches, and they sent out nine different people in the district superintendent. And they went into those three churches and they spoke with the board. And they met with the pastor and they met with some of the other people, the, you know, the lay people in the church. And they came up with a plan for the church to, to be vibrant. Now notice they came up with a plan for the church to be vibrant, not necessarily for the church to grow. Because what we are doing and what we're looking for now is, is that we get this understanding that it's not truly numbers that we're looking for, but it's spiritual growth that we're looking for. If we have spiritual growth, then we'll have numbers. It kind of works that way. If, you're, if your church is on fire, people's going to come and try to put it out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, Satan's going to come and try to put it out. Uh, you know, but the church is on fire and people will begin to come to the church Number one, because the people in the church are excited and they begin to talk about all the things that God's doing. Plus, we know that the Holy Spirit will begin to draw us in the church as we begin to change, then we begin to draw the other people to us. As the light of the world begins to shine more and more in our lives, it attracts the people to it. So we get this. It's a vibrant church. So Jesus is talking more about a spiritual aspect uh, you know, than he is really anything else. Uh, you know, and then we get into the, the second question uh, you know, that they posed. The second question is, is uh, you know, what must we do to do the works that God requires? I will give them this. They want to do something. Their aim might be in the wrong direction. But they ask the question, okay, I hear what you're saying here. So what must I do to do God's work? Well, we can't do anything. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that comes in and begins to work in us, enabling us to be able to do it. I, you know, and, and I look at this and I think about this. How many people understand that God never sleeps? God never sleeps, right? He, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always there. Whenever you go to sleep and you have a problem, He's working on the problem. Whenever you wake up, He's been working on that, on that problem, trying to create the solution and stuff for it all the time, right? Never sleeps. God never stops working. The problem with the church is, is that we're sitting here and we're waiting to see where God's at work. 
How many is waiting to see where God's at work? God's already working. We don't have to wait for Him to start working. We just simply need to see where He's working, and then we need to step in. It's not us that's doing the work. It's Him that's doing the work. He just uses us. So we see here, they're like, oh, okay, what can I do? Jesus, in this right here, He really starts narrowing this down. And this is where uh, you know, Jesus comes up and He says, look, He says, the only thing that you are required to do, the only thing that a believer is supposed to, well, that kind of gives it away, but you are supposed to believe in me as the Son of God. That's all you're supposed to do. Is that easy? Yes, it should be really easy. But the problem with it is, is that, number one, we try to do a lot of other things. What must I do? What work must I do for this? You remember the rich young ruler? How you know that asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? He goes through all of these things and he says, I've, I've done those. I have kept those commandments since, uh, you know, since birth. And then Jesus says, okay, then you need to go. And you need to give all your wealth away. And then come and follow me. It had nothing to do with the money. It had everything to do with giving away what he had and following Jesus. Whenever we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, we will begin to obey the commandments of God because he is the one that sent Jesus Christ here and we will begin to obey the things that he has for us to do. Whew. Man, that, that in itself preaches. Man, we have this life that he is calling us to. And all he says, look, all you have to do is believe in me. And if you truly believe in me, then you'll do all the other stuff. So I don't have to worry about telling you what else to do. Just simply believe. And then he goes on. I want you to understand that from there, from, from all the things from there that Jesus says is so that they will understand what he's talking about as far as believing in him. The rest of Jesus' statements and the rest of this chapter deals with the fact of us believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Because from here, they go to this question, okay, and they ask, well, what sign are you going to give us? Wait a minute. This is the same group that was on the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee that was about to make him their earthly kingdom because they saw the sign that he gave, because they said the words, this must be the prophet that the scriptures were talking about. Now they're going to ask him for a sign. This gives us this true understanding that they were still focused on the physical they were still saying, okay, give me that bread. They even say it in the scripture. They say, well, if you're the bread of life, then give me that bread every day. He's like, you still don't understand. They take Jesus to Exodus chapter 16 with the manna. And says, Moses gave our ancestors... You know, bread from heaven. And Jesus, oh, no, he didn't either. You might think that he did, but my father gave that bread. 
And then he says, I am that bread. Uh, Because I'm the one that came down from heaven. And I came down here for you. And then that really begins to get them because what do they begin to question? You hear in the passage of Scripture, they say, well, wait a minute. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter? How can he say that he's come down from heaven? How can he say that he's that bread? And then Jesus continues on and Jesus goes in and begins to talk about the fact that, you know, you have to eat, you have to partake of this bread. If that wasn't difficult enough, he said, you have to eat my flesh. If that wasn't difficult enough, he said, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood. And you find the disciples, some of, you know, some of the people that were his followers. Now, we're not talking about the crowd that came over from, you know, from Galilee. We're talking about his followers. We're talking about the people that had left their home and was following Jesus throughout his ministry everywhere that he went. They stand up and they say, oh, this is too hard of a, of a, of an, of a life that he is asking us to live. How can we partake of his flesh? How can we eat his flesh? How can we drink his blood? We can't do that. No, church, we can't do that on our own. The only way that we can do it is through the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus Christ. We ask for forgiveness of our sins. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And then we are able to live the life that Jesus is talking about. The only problem with it is, is that we don't want all of it. Come on. We don't want it all. We are happy sitting in our seats, nibbling on the grapes all of our life. Just give me the grapes. That's the sweet stuff. Don't be like my wife and put guacamole on my plate. Just give me the sweet stuff. I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that hard stuff. Give me the sweet stuff. Jesus says that he's the bread of life. One of the problems with it is in our society today, bread is free, right? You go to O Charlie's and you can get your full of bread. And nice butter. You don't have to order. You don't have to spend a dime. Well, you might. Well, you can get water and still get out of there free. They might not like you, but you can do that. Go there and just get it free. I went there and I ate with somebody. I don't even remember who it was, but we were through with our meal. And he said, hey, can, I, can we get another basket of, of bread? I was like, another basket of bread? He said, can I have a box for the rest of my food? He just got another basket of bread. Dumped the bread into the box. He took a whole basket of bread. It could have been a she. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I'm not being very uh, you know, politically correct. Uh, you know, it could have been a she or a he. Uh, it was a person uh, you know, that asked for bread, uh, you know, and they put it in their box with their leftovers. Brand new basket of bread. It's free. But in those days, if you didn't have bread, you most probably weren't going to survive the week. Jesus tells us of being the bread of life. He says, I'm not just a side dish. I'm the main dish. I'm not just something, a delicacy. I'm the main thing. 
you cannot have life unless you partake of me. And then he says, wait a minute, you can't have life unless you eat my flesh. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't have life unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, you cannot have life unless you have all of me. It's not just a nibble here and a nibble over here. He says, you've got to have all of it. We can't be part Christian and part not. We can't have some of Jesus and not all of him. You either have every bit of him or you got nothing. You're either a Christian or you're not. Whew, that sounds good. You're either a Christian. I think it's just my voice. I'm sorry. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either following Jesus all the way or you're not following Jesus. You are either a child of God or you're not a child of God. In John, he tells us that Jesus says that, no, wait a minute, it's not in John. Paul tells us that, you, that, that, it, that Jesus does not see a Greek or a Jew or a Gentile or a Jew. He doesn't see slave or free. He doesn't see, uh, you know, he doesn't see male or female. He sees whether you're lost or whether you're saved. That is it. He sees whether or not you believe in Him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or you don't. If you believe in part of it, He doesn't see it. There's not a lukewarm Christian. There's, you know, we're the ones that created that terminology uh, you know, ourselves. It's not in Scripture. Because you're either lost or you're saved. But there's a problem. There's an issue that we have. Yes, one of the problems and one of the issues is, is that we're human. Heard this. A gentleman was talking on the, on the TV and stuff today. Or not today, but this week. He worked for a company out in Texas, and he had this nice pickup truck. as a company truck, and it had a gold star on the top of the hood. Now, he professed that if he didn't have to work this job and he was you know, financially secure enough, he would rather be a storm chaser. He said storms just, you know, just fascinating. And out there in Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas, you can see storms coming from miles. How, you know, so he, he just loved it. But they were headed to Oklahoma City one afternoon to go and check out this facility. And he had three or four guys in the truck with him. And he, said, he saw the storm clouds up there in front. And he was like, oh, man. He saw the clouds changing. And he said the wind started kind of picking up. And he looked over there at his friend. And he said, man, he said, all these cars are pulled off to the side of the road. Do you think we need to pull off? And his friend said, well, whatever you think. And kind of curled up in a blanket and tried to go back to sleep in the back of the truck. Now, it was a four-door truck, so he had the room. He was inside. So he curls up there and he says, well, he says, the storm chaser and me just kind of took over. And I just floored it. 
He takes off and he said, man, he said, we're going through there. And he said, things started flying across the road. He said, you could see boards, you could see stuff, you know, just all over. He said, man, I was going. He said, man, I'm going to see this storm. He said, I'm going to get to it. I want to see this storm. He said, it's really big. I want to see this storm. And then all of a sudden, it was clear. He says, man, I missed the storm. I get to the hotel room that night and he's sitting down and he's watching the news. And they're showing this clip of this big storm and this white truck with a gold star on the hood comes outside of the other side of the storm. And he goes, oh, I was right in the midst of the storm. We are in the midst of God Almighty and we cannot see it because we're looking for something else. We are standing in the midst of God Almighty, but our mind is thinking about something else tomorrow. We do it, and I'll confess, because before church service or before, you know, while I was over here, I, you know, I go to my calendar, and there's two updates in my calendar. See, I'm, I'm in God's house. I'm supposed to be praising, worshiping God. And I'm adding something to my calendar. We do it. We do it. When are we supposed to plant our crops? Oh, it's going to rain tomorrow. We can't plant our garden tomorrow. It's not going to rain Tuesday all that much, so maybe I can plant it Tuesday. Uh, you know, Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, we have chance of thunderstorms. But that means the sun's going to come out and it's going to start warming up a little bit to have the thunderstorm. Maybe I can plant in between the thunderstorms. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, we think and we're like, well, you know, maybe I can paint today or maybe I can do this tomorrow or I've got this doctor's appointment Tuesday. I've got this one here Wednesday. Uh, you know, we're, we're in the midst of God Almighty, but we're looking somewhere else. God is moving in our lives, but we're looking somewhere else. He says, I have that problem that you're facing, but we're looking somewhere else. But then we also have this fact. What he's asking me to do, it's difficult. How many of y'all remember those 21 Christians that was slain over in Afghanistan, what, a year and a half ago? How many of you would go to that place today and be God's hands and his feet? I understand that it's part of a call, but are we willing to give up our life for Jesus Christ? Because, see, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's saying. He says, you know, he says, this life that you're living, you have to give it up to me. You have to be willing to die for me. If you are going to eat my flesh and drink my blood, then that means that you are no longer, and it's I that is living within you. You will either die for me, or you will die to this world, or in this world. And if you die for me, then that means that you will live for eternity. There's a lot of us that talk about spending eternity in heaven. Are you willing to go today? 
If it means for one of my kids to get saved, you better believe it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If it means for someone living across the street to get saved, I'm all in. See, that's where God's at. That's where Jesus is taking us. He says, are you willing to give up your life for someone else's? Are you willing to give up your life so that someone else will know about me? It's not a part of it. It's all of it. Chapter 69, or verse 69. Jesus says, didn't I choose all you twelve? But yet one of you is the devil. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. He saw every miracle. He saw every healing. He saw, and he heard every message of Jesus Christ. But we find in Matthew chapter 27, I believe it's in verses, 30, or verses 13 and 14, that, Jesus is, that Judas is standing there in the synagogue with the Pharisees, and he's got this bag with 30 pieces of silver in his hand. He says, here, you need to take this. Because I have just turned over an innocent man to death. See, there's some of us that will be faced and will be standing there someday, just like Judas, and we'll be holding the things of the world, and we'll look up, and we'll say, man. miss the most important thing. I miss Jesus. He was right there in my midst. I sat through church. I heard my mom and dad tell the stories. I heard my Sunday school teachers tell the stories. But I went after the things of the world. I pray it's not too late. I pray that whenever you realize the things of this world that you have in your hands, that they're nothing, but you're willing to throw them down for Jesus Christ and to commit everything that you have to Him. Everything. If not, it's going to be too late. But can I let you know that whenever you accept this, that that doesn't mean that you're perfect? We don't have to take a bath before we go to Jesus to get cleaned up. He's going to do it. All we have to do is profess. All we have to do is say, I see you. I understand that you are the bread of life. I understand who you are. And I want to eat your flesh. I want to drink your blood. 
I want to partake of you, all of you. And then allow him to enter into your life and allow him to demolish the old life and rebuild the new life. Does it mean that we're going to do everything perfect from then on? No. But we got to start somewhere. We've got to be willing to give up our lives for him. Because Jesus doesn't want a part of us. Because he is the bread of life. He's the bread that came down from heaven to feed the world. To feed every one of us. Everyone that comes to him. It says that he will not turn them away. But he says the only way that you can come to him is through his father. This morning, I think that's the imagery that I would like to leave you as we stand. I, I don't know where you are. I just want to make sure that you're not Judas. I want to make sure that you haven't spent all these years in church, but you miss the true bread of life. That you miss Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the only one that can give you life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we ask those questions, or I ask those questions to you this morning. Where are you? Are you in the midst of the storm but you can't see? Are you looking somewhere else? Because he's right here. Maybe you see him, but you're like Judas and you refuse to see that that is the way that he is supposed to work. You want a Savior to save you from your stuff right now. Not from the spiritual stuff. It's not the what. It's the who. Jesus is standing here this morning. And he says, come. Come and partake of my flesh take of my blood I'm here
your heavenly father. Thank you, dear Lord, so much for today and for the words that you have given to us. God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would continue to work in the lives of the people that are here. God, that we would continue to look and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.